Hey there, welcome to Walking Alongside Perspectives, a combination of short monopods as well as some conversations with cool folks covering various topics based on what is going on in the world, focusing on the broader theme of perspectives. As Friedrich Nietzsche said, there are no facts, only interpretations. So let's get into it with this episode. Thanks for being here. It's the first year that this day is being officially commemorated, and it's interesting to me to consider whether it's going to be just like every other one of the national statutory holidays that was originally created to celebrate or commemorate something or someone, and people use that day to ponder, reflect, or whatever, but now it's become a day that people really just plan their long weekend around or get a day in lieu or are happy to be working because they get time and a half or double time. Now I can readily admit, and almost unashamedly so, that on the 19th, when Queen Elizabeth was laid to rest after the requisite 10 days of mourning, that I literally took that day off and did all non-work things. I baked and got in a workout and did not watch the funeral. It was more of a result of work being in freaking sane right now and me needing that extra day to do a bit of self-care and focus on the things that bring me joy and refill my cup. If only I knew that the cup would need even more filling, but that's another story for another day. But this September 30th, today, I am taking the time to do some of the learning and unlearning and trying to gain a better understanding of how we can, as Canadians, move forward towards a place of true reconciliation. We have by now all heard the truth and hopefully been justifiably horrified by it. If there are people still out there who somehow think that the decisions made by the people who quote unquote founded this country are justifiable in the name of I'm not sure what, well, as Dan Riskin told the audience the other night at his U of A Day science talk, it's going to take many more conversations before they might start to be able to shift. And I don't mean that they have to smarten up. We all have access to whatever amount of information that we choose to be informed by. But if you surround yourself with people who all think the same way as you, you aren't going to learn anything. You aren't going to grow and you certainly aren't going to change. And I think that we all need to come to the realization that if there is going to be the mass change that is necessary to undo the wrongs perpetrated on the First Peoples of Canada, that we all have a role to play. You don't know what you don't know, so it's up to each of us to seek out information, truth if you want to call it that, so that we can find out exactly what that role is and what it will entail. It's funny how these things come about. Because sometime early on in the pandemic, I realized that we should probably be doing the land acknowledgements prior to our briefings, virtual or otherwise, and I became part of a working group of two nationally to try to come up with some guidelines based on the work of people far smarter and more enlightened than me, so that we could do those without it becoming just a recited verse before we launch into whatever it is that we're going to be talking about. I had heard one land acknowledgement done at a gambling symposium I had participated in and I realized what a rich experience it could be when done right and by the right people. So I encouraged my coworkers to come up with something that had an actionable piece attached to it, but it was really hard to do in a virtual forum in a way that felt meaningful. Over the last few years, I have heard and participated in great ones and less than mediocre ones. But I think we all need a little grace here because hopefully people everywhere, however they are doing it, are doing the best they can. The way I do them is evolving and hopefully gradually starting to inspire the participants to learn a little more. And at the end of the day, that's what change is all about. Striving to learn a little more and do a little better every day. Now, I guess it comes as no surprise that I love podcasts, and I've been listening to some pretty thought-provoking ones lately. There was a five-part series about Buffy St. Marie that literally blew my mind. The host is Phelan Johnson, and it was so interesting and tragic and eye-opening. It gave me an appreciation for the work that Buffy did and the influence that she has been on Indigenous music, not just in Canada, but around the world. 
you don't have to like her music to be impressed by her story. It turns out though that I have come to really appreciate her music. It's funny how that goes. When you open up your mind, crazy things happen. Horizons are expanded, tastes change, and I think ultimately we benefit from whatever it is that's new. Phelan Johnson also co-hosts another series with Leah Simone Bowen called The Secret Life of Canada, and the episode I listened to the other day was about some of the folks whose statues or monuments and names grace multiple locations, schools, streets, etc. It was the famous five, Samuel de Champlain and Sir John A. Macdonald. And it's sad to me that anything I had ever learned about them, and there's really no other way to say this, was whitewashed. Social studies when I was in school was a clear example of how history is written by the victor. And the fact that I didn't learn about residential schools until I was an adult, or that I didn't know that Sir John A. was the father of residential schools, is both alarming and disturbing. And while I'm grateful that the famous five fought for women's rights, I'm less impressed by the fact that one of them essentially began the programs of eugenics that plagued the province until 1972, and the rest of them were basically racist. And Samuel, well, he may be the father of New France, but the fact that he got special permission to marry a 12-year-old, as well as lying to the indigenous people that he was supposedly allying himself with, is both gross and disgusting. Hearing these things literally for the first time, and I like to think of myself as fairly enlightened, cemented a thought I had the other day when I watched the trailer for a Netflix show called Never Have I Ever. I still haven't watched any episodes, but the one scene in the trailer was in a history class of some kind, so it was clearly an American show. And the teacher was trying to tackle the thorny issue of feminism with the students. Their assignment was to rewrite their constitution not as founding fathers, but as founding mothers. And I thought at first, oh, what a cool idea. But then I realized that it was actually a fool's errand because the only system most people have ever experienced is the one that is constructed based on the white male patriarchal model. All our experiences are shaped by what we know, which is predicated on one single model of dominance, discrimination, and oppression. To say that we would simply do the opposite, if we were to be doing that assignment, might miss the fact that there are other things that were more insidiously influenced, or to which we have an unconscious bias, or whatever. Maybe I'm just too dim, but I feel as though it is almost an impossible task. Take Emily Murphy, who, while she was a suffragist and successfully campaigned to have women declared persons, she was really only interested in helping white women. She was elitist and racist, but she too was a product of her time, when white people were viewed as superior, even though she, as a woman, was viewed as inferior. So while it is easy to malign them for their views, they are A, sadly not that far removed from the attitudes that many people still hold today by both men and women, and B, in keeping with the times. We are all creatures of context, so to say that they would have been or should have been immune to this is of course nonsense. It doesn't take away from the atrocities that her views and those of her peers resulted in, but it explains in some twisted way where they were coming from, even though there were probably people then who knew even at the time that it was wrong and we still clearly have a long way to go. There are many people to whom apologies and reparations need to be made. So while those behaviors back in the day might be somewhat understandable, it still doesn't make it excusable. We still have a responsibility to do better and to make things right. Though how that will ultimately happen is another one of those $20,000 questions. We can't continue to say, well, they didn't know better. It was acceptable then because we do know better now, and it's up to us to make good on those 94 calls to action. We inherited the problem, so for better or for worse, or fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, we're still on the hook for figuring it out and making things right. The best place is to start by learning as much as we can about the real truth of what happened. 
since the English and the French arrived, since the lands that were taken care of by the original and true stewards of Turtle Island were displaced, literally and figuratively, and how they have had to watch as decisions based on colonial systems of greed, power and domination, and not only decimated the country and its original residents, but the planet. There is so much that we can learn about how to manage the land, the resources, the animals, the very things that Canada prides itself on having from the First Nations. The cod fishery, still not recovered. Biodiversity, continuing to suffer crushing blows on a daily basis because we need to expand our cities and towns ever further into nature. The loss of habitat as we dam rivers, cut down trees and rip the resources out of the ground. And the irony there is that while yes, we have benefited from the modernization and development of the world and those resources, the benefits have not been equally distributed. And it is in the lack of both equity and equality that there are ways that we can make amends and make things better. It will not only take political will, but the will and courage of the people who ultimately vote or not, because really, what is the deal with voter apathy for those leaders? <laughs> and I use that term very loosely. People have more agency than they think they do. If only they choose to exert that. You can vote, you can write letters, you can support groups that do the heavy lifting for you. You can volunteer for organizations that do work that helps the people affected by the decisions made all those years ago, or you can simply support them through donations. There's no shortage of ways that we can all start to chip away at the mountains of challenges that face us. Again, whether that's with respect to the planet, the climate, or the different groups of people who have been disproportionately, and in most cases quite deliberately, made to live in the margins. And some of the ways we can do that are not unlike what happens when we make things more accessible for those who need that little boost or assistance. Ultimately, everyone benefits. Think curb cuts, voice to text or text to voice, ramps to buildings, etc. If we learn from the First Nations when it comes to how they use restorative justice or understand the ways that the land can heal us and that when treated with respect and reverence, the land can even heal itself, then we will all benefit. Our justice system long overdue for a major overhaul would benefit. People who need to find a way to reconnect with nature to find peace and a way forward would benefit. And the animals, the forests, the water and the soil that we all depend on for our survival would benefit. The first thing that needs to happen is that we need to get the right people at the table. Not in a tokenistic way, but in a way that those who currently hold the power are prepared to acknowledge that maybe we've gotten it wrong all these years, and maybe we need to make amends by respectfully listening to different ways that we could do things that will still lead to prosperity, but this time for the many instead of the few. From municipalities to provinces to the federal powers that be, it's time to put our money where our mouth is, or whatever the figurative version of that is. In some cases, there is absolutely money that needs to be put out there. But in other situations, it's simply recognizing that the colonial ways in which decisions have been made over the last several hundred years isn't the only way a nation and an economy can succeed. There is a more sustainable way, a more equitable way, a more just way. We all need to be open to giving that a try. So hopefully, instead of just putting on an orange shirt and calling it good, we all find ways to meaningfully connect with and learn from, and even put into practice some actionable steps that make truth and reconciliation and its 94 resolutions actually become a living, breathing document instead of just a sad reminder of all the things that we should have done or could have done, but simply haven't done. If we can do that as a nation, then at least this one national holiday might actually mean something. 
Thanks for listening. If you have ideas for a topic or even better, a perspective to share, I would love to hear them and share them, ideally in a conversation with you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and throw a comment my way or share with friends. For better or for worse, we're all in this together. We have exactly one world to share, so let's make it the best one it can be. Until next time, take good care. Ciao for now.